Respect Belong Thrive would like to acknowledge the Wadarong people of the Kulin Nations on whose country our Geelong campus is located. We pay our respects to traditional elders past, present and emerging and thank First Nations peoples for their care and custodianship of the land. I would like to welcome Lisa Hanna, who is the Dean of Students at Deakin University. Hi Lisa, thank you for joining me today. To start off, could you tell me more about your professional journey to your current role as Dean of Students at Deakin? Sure. So um, so I've been in Australia about 13 years and I actually came to Australia for a job at Deakin. So prior okay. to that, I was a postdoctoral research fellow at yep. the University of Edinburgh where I'd done my PhD and I'd done some teaching work there as well, although I was a, a research only staff member. And then I saw advertised a lecturer in health promotion and public health, which is my area of expertise here at Deakin, applied and I got the job. So I came to Australia explicitly for that lecturer position and I've stayed and I've stayed at Deakin largely because it has actually offered me a really great place to work and a really great opportunity for growth and career development as well. And a lot of flexibility I've had. I arrived at Deakin with a a six-month-old baby and I've had another child in the interim whilst I've been here. So um, my career has very much worked around my building a family during that time as well. Mm -hmm. So I started off as a teaching and research academic at Mm -hmm. Deakin and went through a process, got promoted after a couple of years and then became associate was appointed to the role of associate head of school teaching and learning so moved into a leadership position and then maintained that role and then was promoted again from a senior lecturer to an associate professor after another number of years and and then became deputy head of school during that time I'd also had a range of roles in university level committees the research uh, Deakin University Human Research Ethics Committee I was a member of and subsequently chaired I was a deputy chair of core standards committee and I played a range of roles across the faculty and, and university leadership. So I'd been more and more exposed to that institutional and university and sector-wide perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in 2019, my predecessor, Bernie Marshall, vacated the Dean of Students role and it was advertised and I applied and got the role. So I've been Dean of Students for over three years now and yeah, loved it. Okay. I would love to know what attracted you to Deakin and what have been some of the highlights of your time here? You know, I was in the UK. I did my undergraduate at the University of Edinburgh, did a master's at the University of Glasgow, and then I came back to Edinburgh to do my PhD. And then, as I said, I I worked in public health, public health sciences and health promotion and primary care research for a number of years postdoctorally. But those were research contracts. so They were always soft funded. So the job came up on a job notifications um, Mm -hmm. email that I got. I didn't know about Deakin before because I wasn't from Australia. Yeah, I did was fortunate in that I had the head of my department that I was then working in, which was a department of primary care research and mm-hmm. um, was from Australia. Yeah. So I remember chatting to him and asking him if he knew much about Deakin and he, he did and he knew good things. This was a while ago. This was in 2007, actually, okay. that I applied. Yeah. So what attracted me to the role was it was the opportunity for something new. You know, it was yeah. the opportunity for a continuing academic role, mm. so a teaching and a research role. Yeah. And I was at a phase in my life then as well where I thought, oh, I'm excited to move internationally and excited to take up this opportunity. I didn't have children at that point, And I also mm-hmm. didn't have anything that was particularly holding me to Edinburgh. I was partnered, mm. but I didn't have any other family restrictions. So I was just interested yeah. to go. Now, yeah. what happened then is that after I was interviewed for and was offered the job, I subsequently found out that I was pregnant and yeah. didn't, had not been pregnant at the point at which I was offered the job. And I do remember ringing up the person who appointed me and saying, look, 
I've actually found out that I'm pregnant and I completely understand if you need somebody to start earlier and to give her all of, I mean, I didn't know anything about Australian legislation. I knew in, Australia, in the UK, of course, you could be discriminated against on the grounds of pregnancy, but it really wasn't about a discrimination thing. I thought I didn't need to come to Australia for the job. Mm-hmm. I sort of thought, yeah. and then I'd find out I was going to have a baby. And I sort of said, look, if this is going to mess it up for you, I'll just withdraw. And they said, nope, doesn't make any difference whatsoever wow. to us. You can um, either come out now and start the job and have the baby here, or you can, we're happy to keep it for you. You can stay in the UK, have your baby, and then come out here whenever you're ready. So I chose that. I chose the latter. Yeah. So I started at Deacon probably about not quite a year, but maybe eight or nine months later than I'd had anticipated. So what attracted me to Deacon was just the opportunity mm. and the opportunity to try something internationally. But yeah. then subsequently, um, whenever they were so accommodating around my need to stay in the UK for a bit longer to have my baby, that that was a really good sign to me. Yeah. And then once I arrived in Australia and I started to teach, I really, I really enjoyed being at Deacon. I didn't yeah. think whenever I first applied for the role, I never intended it to be an ongoing thing in all mm. honesty. Mm. I sort of thought, oh, okay. I'm a public health researcher. I had a whole network of research and had a very established career in the UK. But I thought, oh, here's a good opportunity. I'll um, mm. I'll pop overseas. I'll maybe work in Australia for three years and come back to the UK. <laughs> um, but but I, I so I hadn't intended to stay, but I did because mm. Deacon proved to be such a good place to work in terms of the opportunities it offered to me and the yeah. values. I think even at that stage, which was a long time ago, yeah. even then the values of freshness and vibrancy and flexibility and innovation really resonated with me. I came yeah. from you know the equivalent of a group of eight university background in the UK, very high high profile universities yeah. that I both went to and worked at, and I just found the the creativity and the youth and the lack of formality and the responsiveness of Deacon, a really conducive environment to, yeah. you know, there was no pomposity. There were really opportunities for people who were who were willing to take them. And I really, really thrived in that environment. So that's why I stayed. Yeah. And then, of course, I got offered leadership opportunities and yeah. I started my own leadership journey as opposed to my teaching and research mm. journey. Yeah. Um, and that that kept me here. What does a Dean of Students role involve? I know there must be a diverse range of activities, but could you tell me what an average day might look like? Yeah, on a typical day, I would be engaged in some form of leadership meetings, whether that's with my colleagues in the DVCA portfolio and yep. dealing with uh, engaging working strategically with other directors or with Liz Johnson or DVC or attending a university meeting, whether that be legislation committee or university teaching learning committee or academic board, um, and also engaging with my own team. So my own direct reports overseeing their work, not so much operationally, but from a strategic perspective. So speaking to my teams around student complaints or conduct and appeals, Mm -hmm. student academic progress and integrity, students as partners, or a student academic and peer support and and often having sessions with students as well whether that's um, meeting with our student association JUSA got one of those this afternoon or with individual students who want to talk to me about something or escalate a concern or engaging with our student partners uh, on one level or the other I'm also planning at this point I'm heavily involved in planning a, a national academic integrity forum and no day would be complete without a bit of policy work I've got a great deal a number of policies that I'm implementation officer for so I always looking at them I've recently completed a major policy review participate and contribute to a range of university strategic well, action plans. So collaborating with colleagues across the university on that, 
often responding as well to, to staff requests, whether it's my leadership colleagues like associate deans teaching and learning, or sometimes unit chairs or other staff have a query for me um, around a student matter. And then, of course, there is the component of my work that is Part of my work as an academic, but not central to my role as Dean of Students. So I still maintain a range of PhD supervisions and um, sometimes honours and masters, although I don't have any of those at the minute. So on a typical day, I may be reviewing a student paper or providing feedback on something. And on Fridays, I have I try to schedule most of my meetings with my research students on Fridays yeah. to keep that relatatively contained. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I was doing that was the question I was going to ask, whether the academic side is still continuing, which is, I mean, yeah, well, not, both, but... not teaching, Thea, yeah. unfortunately. No. I mean, I, I, and I wish I could. I wish I could. You know, I, I really do miss being in a classroom, whether that's physical or virtual with students. Yeah. But no, it's just not compatible with the role. But and, and it would it would also be a conflict of interest. Having said that, I'm fortunate to be involved in teaching and learning leadership. So there's yeah, a great you. deal that my teams and I do to support students learning and their success and retention uh, and to support staff in um, in good teaching. And teaching and learning is, you know, that's my sort of leadership background. So yeah. um, heavily involved strategically, if not, yeah. if not at the forefront. Wow. You've captured a lot in everything you do in a day and the role. But is there a part of the position that you most enjoy? Talking to our students is the favourite part. And whether it is helping to resolve a student problem or intervening with a student, well, not that I'm doing this personally, but my teams are and the committees that my team serve are, or it's supporting a student to succeed or to be better, to be more respectful or to act with more academic integrity. Those are things that I enjoy. And I also am privileged to go to a range of, I see students at their best. I see them whenever they're applying for leadership awards or hallmarks or students helping students awards. So celebrating our students um, because they are so brilliant and they teach me something every time I talk to one of them. So, yeah. This next question is slightly different. I'd love to know more about somebody in particular who inspires you. Well, on a very close to home note, Liz Johnson, our Deputy Vice-Chancellor academic, led us through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I think the way that Liz led that potentially really disruptive period, obviously extremely high stress for students, but also from the institutional perspective staff under an enormous degree of pressure and uncertainty and Liz at the helm really did navigate that with a great deal of integrity never losing her authentic care and compassion for colleagues and a very strong sense of just personal decency and ethics in work and 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 I know that's very close to home there's obviously lots of people that inspire me more broadly but in the deacon context I think Liz really modeled collegiate distributed leadership during the pandemic in a really in an exceptional way. Oh that leads really well into my next question which is what do you believe is the most important attribute of a leader? Look, for me, always uh, for my own leadership and, and the, the value or the attribute that I respond best to in others is integrity, personal integrity, because uh, you can't fake that and, you, and it's tangible. Uh, and it informs, it permeates every aspect of the way people do their work as a leader, the way they relate to their people, the way they relate to the communities they serve, the ethics with which they do their work, uh, their strategy, their vision, everything. So I think 
I think a strong sense of personal and professional integrity is is my number one attribute. Yeah. Uh, and then, for, of course, a whole range of, of supporting attributes that are important to find in a leader, you know, leaders that inspire others to do their best work, that make people feel safe and valued, but also with an uncompromising focus on rigor. You know, I'm excellence and rigor are, are principles and, and outcomes that really motivate me. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm interested in the highest caliber work in excellence, yeah. uh, but always within the context of a strong, grounded sense of professional ethics and professional integrity. Okay, great. And for yourself, what are the key successes you have experienced? Well, you know, I think there are there are obviously tangible projects I've delivered and mm. achievements, but I think on a more holistic level, I feel really fortunate to have achieved the type of authentic and productive relationships that I have both within the Deacon community, with my peers and my colleagues, with our students, and also with other people across the sector. So I think the key achievement for me is a, is a strong, collegiate, quality-focused professional network. That's that's a key achievement, I think. And for me as a female leader, I think it's tempting to conceptualize effective and successful managing of both professional and personal commitments with being female. But of course, everybody has that. And I I think that Deacon has afforded me the opportunity to to navigate the personal commitments that we all have, or some of us have, but we all have different ones, with personal commitments, with um, professional excellence and inspiration and growth in a way that's been I think that's I mean that's an institutional achievement but it's been a it's been my relationship with the institution has allowed me to achieve good things professionally as well as maintaining that more holistic component of other aspects of my life including in my case and this is not exclusive to females of course but having children uh, having caring responsibilities having older parents overseas and so on and what advice would you provide to aspiring female leaders um, a few things, not to feel apologetic about a meandering career trajectory, mm-hmm. because in reality, very few people's careers are perfectly plotted master plan, and many of them will meander and go down dead ends in some instances or may take some time, you know, languishing yes. for a bit, and there will be other responsibilities and so on. So take opportunities. Don't feel that you have to be 100% qualified. Just you know, have a go, make yeah. mistakes, feel confident and unapologetic about your own path. Oh, and support other women. Be a role model, ask for, for mentoring, ask for support mm-hmm. and model the leader that you would like to see around you. Be that person yourself and model that for other women. That's really great advice. And in your opinion, how does Deacon support women who aspire to be successful in leadership roles? I've been extremely fortunate at Deacon in that I have never felt, maybe this is also the discipline within I, within which I work, which is, it's fairly equitable, but at Deacon generally, I've never been conscious of my my womanhood as being a factor, which is a good thing. You know, I've, I've never felt that opportunities were not available to me because of my being a woman. And I'd like to flag and acknowledge 
that I bring to the workplace an enormous amount of privilege on other levels as well. So I want to acknowledge that intersectionality, both my ethnicity as well as my educational background. I bring a lot of privilege to that space. So I'm not saying that for all women, for me specifically, my sex or my gender has not been an obvious impediment to my progress mm. in any way. So it, it has appeared to be, for me, from my perspective of privilege, a gender neutral space, which has been liberating. Mm. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing your own experience as a female leader at Deakin. My final question for you is how important are male allies for female leaders? Look, enormously important. Um, And I think it speaks to the previous thing I said, which was not experiencing any tangible or visible discrimination on the basis of my womanhood at Deakin. That unfortunately doesn't happen by default within a society that is still strongly structured in a patriarchal manner. So It's happened at Deakin because of proactive action, and that will include the work of leaders, the work of diversity, equity and inclusion, the work of women leaders, but also the male allies that have facilitated an environment in which people like me can perceive a relative gender neutrality. So I'm conscious that that allyship will have been there in making gender relatively invisible, at least for me with my privilege. In terms of specific male allies, my predecessor, Bernie Marshall, is a great example. Bernie has always been a robust supporter and promoter of women in the workplace and and myself as well. And and it's really empowering to have a senior male figure as well as senior female leaders validate your contribution, validate your worth and validate your and encourage you to go for opportunities that I think that we as women and many men as well, of course, but that women in particular are often less forward or less confident yeah. coming yeah. and putting their hand, putting their hat in the ring. Yeah. And Bernie was always, has always been enormously encouraging and supportive. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And Deacon is very lucky to have you as our Dean of Students. Once again, thank you to Lisa for joining us today. I hope you really enjoyed listening to this episode. And if you'd like to hear from other colleagues, students and community partners, you can browse our previous recordings of the Respect Belong Thrive podcast. This episode of Respect Belong Thrive is sponsored by the Community Bank at Deakin University. To find out more, click in our show notes. Thank you for listening.